Amen. Thank you, Ira. One thing that um, we talk with students about often is the idea that just like a computer programmer would know if you're writing code, the things that you put into the program are typically the results that you get. What goes in is what comes out. Garbage in, garbage out. And I'm not a programmer by any stretch, but I did learn about two lines of code in one COBOL class a hundred years ago. And I, I do remember from that that even if a space is in place that shouldn't be, or even if just one stroke of a dot is in one place that shouldn't be, it'll mess up the outcome that you're looking for. And one of the things that we challenge students with a lot in that context is, what are you looking at? What are you listening to? What are you allowing to influence your mind? And for me, one of the things that I have done for a long time is to primarily listen to Christian music and as often as possible to praise music. And some people tell me I'm boring because of that. My wife. Um, some, people, <laughs> some people who are better music critics than I say, well, how can you listen to that all the time? It's all in the same chord. It might be. I don't know music. Um, it all sounds the same. Can't they get any flavor or variety? I, I know the criticisms, but I tend to most of the time listen to Christian music and most of the time listen as often as I can to praise music. And one of the songs that's been ministering to me a lot lately, we sing here, um, and it's called Good, Good Father by Chris Tomlin. And I've been meditating on this particular part of the song where we sing... You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. And anytime I sing lyrics, I ask myself, well, are these lyrics true? Because just because it's a Christian song or on Christian radio doesn't mean it's always true or doesn't mean it's always biblically consistent. I'll say it that way. And so even when we sing songs here together, I think about, okay, what are we singing? And is this true? And is this biblically consistent? And I really have been meditating on the idea that God's ways are perfect. And as I think about that, I really question sometimes, what does perfect mean? And so we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. What does perfect mean, and is God indeed perfect in all of His ways, and in all of His ways, not just universally, but specifically to us? In the way that His ways impact us, is He consistently perfect? Well, we know of God's character that He Himself is perfect, but does He always present Himself to us in His ways Perfectly, And I think about that, and I obviously look around and see that everything in my life is not perfect. And I look around the world, and I see everything in the world is not perfect. And so I ask myself, well, maybe I don't know what perfect is. What does perfect really mean? And so I look up definitions, and I read synonyms, and try to get some context of making sure what I think perfect means is really what perfect means. And this is what I find, a little bit of it, 
goes like this. Having all the required or desired qualities or characteristics. Having all of the desired or required qualities or characteristics. Flawless. Without blemish. Complete. Lacking nothing. Absolute. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is kind of what I think of when I think of the word perfect. So I'm thinking the right word and I'm still back to you are perfect in all of your ways, in all of your ways to us. So why do I see so much imperfection? Why do I experience so much imperfection? Why am I impacted by the imperfection of all of the things that are happening around me that are out of my control and all of the things that I have control over because I'm just as guilty as messing something up as the next guy? So I can't just blame everybody around me. I'm personally responsible that my little world isn't perfect. So if God is perfect, and if He is perfect in all of His ways, and indeed if He is perfect in all of His ways to us, then where is the disconnect? This is just something that I've personally been chewing on. And the one thing that I want us to kind of drill down on in the midst of these definitions and Synonyms is this, as good as possible, as good as possible. So when we talk about perfect this morning, just think as good as possible. When we read in God's word where he says he is perfect in all of his ways, then let's think about as good as possible. But then for me, I'm just kind of slowed down by a few things. I say now. As good as possible as I could bring to pass would be quite imperfect. And I'm okay with that. Not that they are, but I get that. But if my understanding of God is, I know just a fraction of the reality of how perfect He really is, then I know what I'm experiencing is better or could be more perfect, and this experience that I'm experiencing walking through living is not really, in my mind, as good as it could be. So then I'm like, all right, Lord, give me your word. Show me what your word says. I know the author of this song, Chris Tomlin, writes good lyrics. I know he's won a lot of whatever you win for that, Grammys maybe. Um, I know, not Grammys. Oh, he wins Grammys, too. He's, he's big time. All right? And, and, and doves. All right? And, and I, know, I know that we sing this stuff, not in just Gateway only, but all over the place internationally, churches sing these songs. And I know that he typically writes this stuff somewhat based on Scripture. So show me some places in your Word. And so I've been reading some of those. And one that I want to talk about this morning is just three verses out of the book of Psalm, Psalm 18, starting in verse 30. We're going to look at verses 30, 31, and 32. And I have really small print, and that's my fault on the screen, so you're going to have to look this up unless you're really good eyes. Okay? It's kind of small. It's really small for me back there. Um, 
But as I look at this, I want you to know something about this psalm. This is a, a unique psalm, a special chapter in the Bible, because this chapter is actually paralleled over in 2 Samuel chapter 22. Now, don't turn there, but if you did, you're going to find almost word for word Psalm 18 over at 2 Samuel 22. And 2 Samuel 22 is given an account of the life of David. And Psalm 18 is David's account of his own life after becoming king. And so as we read this, we know for this one psalm, and not for all, but certainly for this one, that David is the psalmist, and we know that he is specifically speaking of his own experience and his own life. And I think that's important as we consider what we read because we know that David did not live a perfect life or have a perfect experience. And verse 30 says this, Indeed, God's way is perfect. As good as possible, without flaw, without blemish, complete, lacking nothing, absolute, having all of the desired or required characteristics. It's all there. His way is perfect. And you know, I don't really wrestle with that part, that God's way is perfect. If the song had just said, He's perfect in all of His ways, He's perfect in all of his ways. He's perfect in all of his ways. Let's go home. Then I'm down with that. But when we look at he's perfect in all of his ways, he's perfect in all of his ways, he's perfect in all of his ways to us, and that brings in my experience, that's where I get a little bit hung up. But look at the very next sentence in this verse. The Lord's promises prove true. How is he perfect in all of his ways? Why is he perfect in all of his ways? What is the evidence of his perfection in all of his ways? It is that his promises prove true. In fact, all of his promises prove true. In fact, you can read his word cover to cover and you can live your entire life and survey every life ever lived. And the reality is this. God always does what He says He's going to do, and He never does the things He says He will not do. He is always faithful, and He cannot be unfaithful. Now, God can do anything, but the very nature of His character is that He is faithful, and because He is a faithful God, He cannot, by nature, be unfaithful. And so He is perfect, as good as possible. Not just as good as possible on our record, based on our ability, based on what we can bring to the table, but He's as good as possible even being God, even being the Creator of the universe, even being the one true Most High. He's perfect in all of His ways, and the evidence is all of His promises prove true. He is a shield to all who look to Him for protection. And then David reminds himself and us as we read that indeed God is unique. Indeed He is separate from us. Indeed He is other and not like anyone else 
that we know. And he says, for who is God except the Lord? In other words, there is only one. Don't be confused. I'm not talking about a little g God. I'm talking about the big G God. The father of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The creator of the universe. The head of the Trinity. The one who sent forth His only begotten that we might know Him and be reconciled unto Him. Who but our God is a solid rock. Because when we look around and we see the imperfections of our ways and we see the imperfections of the ways of those around us and how that impacts us, it doesn't feel real sturdy. It doesn't feel immovable. It doesn't feel like there's a solid foundation. Or maybe if there was some foundation before, now it seems though things are changing, whether we're talking about our country, whether we're talking about our family, whether we're talking about our job security, whether we're talking about safety, whether we're talking about, and you can fill in the blank, it seems like things aren't the way that they used to be. And it seems like with these transition, transitions, instability comes. And with that instability comes insecurity. And so David, who knows these experiences and emotions all too well, reminds himself as he is declaring the goodness of God, and ultimately we are reminded as we read of his account of his own life, that there is but one God, And our God is a solid rock. He's immovable. He's unshakable. Even in testing times, even in trying times, even in transitional times, He is a solid rock. And we can plant both of our feet firmly on the person of Christ and firmly on the solid rock who is our Creator. And if we were to read this morning, but we don't because I've been reminded many times that we need to finish on time. Okay? We're going to do that. We would see that he goes on to describe specifically, depending on which translation you're reading, a, a deer or a goat or a ram that would have its feet firmly planted as it climbs. And he gives us the imagery that we know and have experienced that When we have shaky feet, we don't have confidence. But when our feet are planted on the person who is the solid rock, not just on these arbitrary truths, not just on abstract ideas, not just in the conversation of the theoretical or the philosophical, but when our feet are firmly planted on the person who is the solid rock, we experience His perfect ways. The next part is something that I'm still in process over, and we all are. And it really rocks you if you think about it. It'll really blow your mind if you consider, okay, I'm good with verse 30. God is, okay, His ways are perfect. His promises prove true. He's a shield to all who look to Him for perfection. That's about God, who He is, what He does. I'm okay with that. 
We're reminded He's the only God. I believe that. We're reminded He's a solid rock. That settles easy with me. But then, God arms me with strength. Well, quite honestly, sometimes we have an inflated view of our strength. But a lot of times we walk around very well aware that we are not strong at all. That we possess great weakness. That we've got a lot of flaws. In the midst of a flawless God, we're full of flaws. In the midst of a God who is complete, we're very well aware of our incompleteness. And this is when insecurity starts to bubble up. And we disguise it in a million ways. Some of us try to act like it doesn't exist. And so you never know we experience insecurity. And some of you are really fond of your insecurity and you like to talk about it all the time. We all deal with it in different ways, but here's the reality. We all experience this insecurity that comes up when we are in the presence of a holy, righteous, flawless, perfect, complete, lacking nothing God who has all of the requirements and the characteristics that are desired. And so our insecurities start to come about and we start to try to process things on the basis of our experience. But we've got to process things on the basis like we talked about when we kicked the year off because of the authority of God's Word. When our experience doesn't match the truth that lies within His Word, we've got to forfeit our experience and embrace what His Word says. And so we lay down what we have known to be true about our sufferings and our trials and our testing and our journey that is incomplete. And we take hold of what He promises in His Word because His promises prove true. So now I've got to realize this. God arms me with strength. The strength of God that allows Him to be the shield for those who look to Him for perfection, He transfers that strength to me. And Chris Tomlin indeed was not blasphemous because it says, He makes my way perfect. He not only is strong, but He gives me His strength. His way is not only perfect, but He makes my way perfect. And this is the exchange of the mysterious, most high, one and only God bestowing on us sinful, mortal, incomplete, weak, finite people His perfect strength and His perfect way. I had a friend text me, I want to say it was this past week, I don't remember when it was, recently, and they sent me a picture of a Bible, I guess, um, a page in a Bible, so I could see what they had just read, and their text said something like this, don't you just love it when you randomly pick up the Bible And God tells you exactly what you need to hear. And knowing this person's experience, I could read those same verses that they had just read and recognize that God had just met them right where they were. Now, I don't do this as often because, unfortunately, I'm kind of tied to this. 
And it's not as easy to randomly flip, pick up BibleGateway.com and go like this. But have you ever just simply not known where to go, but wanted God to speak to you, and you picked up His Word and you just went... And right where you stop, boom, exactly what you needed for the moment. The way I do it now is I'm thinking about an idea, and instead of going, I go to Google and I say, what are some verses about? And then I still kind of find my way over there, and it happens really quick. Um, But I want us to go through really quick an exercise that's going to do hopefully two things. One, it's going to make you think I'm schizophrenic if you don't already think that. And then the other thing that hopefully it will do is show us how even though God himself is our absolute authority, and even though we plant our lives firmly on the authority of his son and on the authority of his word, even in the context of him having ultimate authority, we still can dialogue with him. We still can question things that we read that don't seem to match up with our experience. He loves us in that way and invites us relationally to dialogue with Him. And I want to just try to do that. I don't know how this will work publicly, but it might go something like this. I read God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to Him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock. God arms me with strength and he makes my way perfect. And then, but the things in my life are not even close to being perfect. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good. For the good of those who love God. And are called according to His purpose for them. Hmm. Good? But some of these things happening in my life don't really seem good at all. And it makes me wonder if God is still going to work all of this out. Or has He given up on me? And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. But Jesus' return could be like a thousand years from now. How can you predict what's going to happen between now and then? Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass. For whatever, for I do whatever I wish. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper wherever I send it. But when I read the Bible, I don't always understand what it means. I think it's true, but I wish you would just make it more clear. So the word became human. And made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. We have experienced his glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm such a big sinner. How can I relate with someone 
who was perfect. For by that one offering, meaning the sacrifice of Christ, He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. So He Himself is holy, and He, in fact, once and for all, has made us to be perfect. And in our progress, in our journey, which is not complete until we experience what Miss Ruth has experienced, will we know in full, but we are being made holy. So, I've been made perfect, but I'm still in the process of being made holy. This is confusing. What I really want to know is this. When this life is all over, where am I going to end up? And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And the students and I learned this week as we're walking through a series uh, leading up during this season of Lent, leading up until Easter, that Jesus mentions in Scripture from His own mouth 192 times the word heaven. But other than Revelation when He's talking to John, there's only one time when He mentions the word paradise. And certainly depending on who you read, and they're all way smarter than me, so I can't really keep up. But depending on who you read depends on what you think paradise means. But for sure it comes from the Greek word paradisos, which means a park or a garden. And the intent of the use of this word, not only if it means behind the walls at a certain place in heaven, not only if it means in heaven, but in the third realm of heaven, I don't know all of that. But I do know at its simplest form, that Greek word translated into English meaning paradise, or paradise meaning park or garden, is a reference to the perfect state of the Garden of Eden. And so here was a man who knew on the cross next to Christ that he was guilty and deserved death. And yet he in his boldness and in his fear and in his awareness of his guilt cried out to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me in the perfect garden, if you will. And I will set everything right as it originally should have been and was in the Garden of Eden. And as it will be for all eternity in the place that we call heaven, even though our understanding of heaven is incomplete, even though it's relatively mysterious, even though we do know just enough about heaven from God's Word to ask a whole lot more questions about the things that we don't know about heaven from God's Word. An eternal paradise where everything is set right, the way it was originally intended to be. What does all of that look like? Miss Ruth is experiencing it, and we don't know. But we do know this. It will be in the presence of our Savior. And to me, that's as good as possible. Let's pray. Praise team is going to come. Lord, we don't grasp all of this, but we try. And we're just asking You, Holy Spirit, 
to do a work in us that causes us, as we realize we don't get it, to just lay down and say, we don't get it. But come. Need us. Hold us. Pick us up. Give us what we need, Lord, not for complete understanding, but just for the next step. And Lord, remind us that we get to journey with You, empowered by You, filled by Your Spirit, hopefully, Lord, to overflowing, that even in our incompleteness, You can perfectly work in us to draw other people toward You. And Lord, as we sing this song that You are a good, good Father, Lord, help us to worship You for Your goodness. Help us to worship You because, indeed, You are perfect, and you are perfect in all of your ways. And yes, you are perfect in all of your ways to us. We praise you for that in Jesus' name.